Hi, I'm Mike Snyder. You may have heard me on Back to the Futurama and Good Morning Greendale. On this podcast, I brought my own soapbox, and I want to talk about things that I find interesting. Today, I'll be talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. American football in Jacksonville has a long history, even though the Jaguars are one of the newer teams in the National Football League. Jacksonville has long been a college football city, hosting the Gator Bowl since 1946, and has hosted the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, the annual rivalry game between the University of Georgia and the University of Florida, since 1933. Much has been said about the move of the Colts from Baltimore to Indianapolis. My friend, and friend of many podcasts, Tema, has a lot of thoughts about it. I asked her what she'd like to say about it, and she said, quote, Every year on the anniversary of the move, the news in Maryland replays the footage of the Mayflower vans moving the team out in the cover of darkness. I wasn't in Maryland at the time, but I know people who are still hurt and betrayed by it. I was in Maryland when the Ravens came, and it was definitely a balm to those who never wanted football to leave. While the city and the state is happy and loves the Ravens, they don't forget." End quote. Thanks for the quote, Tema. I'd like you, my listener, to check out tcbcrochet.com, T-C-B-C-R-O-C-H-E-T.com, for all your crochet needs. She is also planning on starting a Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash like Emma with a T. I've put links in the show notes. Jacksonville shows up in this Colts saga somewhat surprisingly. Robert Ursay, the owner of the Baltimore Colts, held a rally in Jacksonville's Gator Bowl Stadium in 1979, attempting to curry favor of either moving to Jacksonville or gaining concessions about the Baltimore Stadium, as per the Florida Times Union. As I've mentioned, the Colts moved to Indianapolis in 1984, but 50,000 fans showed up in Jacksonville to show Ursay and the NFL that they were serious about professional football. According to News 4 Jax, the NFL decided to add two teams to their current 28 team league in 1991, and Jacksonville was one of the finalists, along with Baltimore, who were between the Colts and Ravens, Carolina, Memphis, and St. Louis, who were between the Cardinals and the Rams. The choice came in 1993, with Carolina being chosen first. Surprisingly, Jacksonville beat out the rest of the finalists to become the NFL's 30th franchise. They would come to be known as the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars finally took the field in the 1995 preseason, and on July 29th, they faced the other expansion team, the Carolina Panthers, losing 20-14. The first year of the Jaguars was an expectedly not great year, as they went 4-12 which is not bad for an expansion team, although Carolina went 7-9. The 1996 season was a breakout season for both expansion teams, as they both had winning records and made it into the playoffs, both making it to their conference championships. On the way, Jacksonville upset the Denver Broncos in Denver in one of the biggest playoff upsets of all time, according to Athlon Sports. Before the game, Denver Post columnist Woody Page called the Jaguars the Jagwads, in a pretty insulting article, ending it, quote, can we get a legitimate NFL team in here next Sunday, end quote? Well, the Jaguars made sure that there was no next Sunday for those Broncos in those playoffs. Sorry, Woody. 
The 1999 season has been the high watermark for the Jaguars as they truly blew through the NFL and wrote to a 14-2 record and the number one seed in the playoffs. While they lost twice in the season, they only lost to one team, the Tennessee Titans. The Titans beat the Buffalo Bills on what is now known as the Music City Miracle and beat Indianapolis to make it to the conference championship. The Jaguars blew at the Miami Dolphins in Dan Marino's last game, 62-7, to be their opponent. Facing the chance to go to the Super Bowl for the first time ever, the Jaguars lost again to the Titans, 33-14. Since 1999, it's mainly been bad football for the Jaguars, with some brief respites of decent playoff football, although the Jaguars at this point is more synonymous with bad management decisions and bad football than the high watermark of the late 90s. Two of the three conference championship games the Jaguars have played in came in that time frame, with the third in 2017. Football fandom wasn't really a choice in my household growing up, to the point where my first memory is watching a Buffalo Bills game on the huge TV that sat in my grandma's living room. The choice was which team to root for. Since we were in southwestern Virginia, there weren't really many choices in the early 1990s that were close by. Washington, D.C. is around a five-hour drive, and Atlanta is even longer. Deciding who to support was often about which team showed up on local television. NFL Sunday Ticket wasn't even a thing until 1994. My mom and grandma were both fans of Dallas, while a lot of the rest of my family were Washington fans. As a result, I tried on both teams, cheering them on to success. During my Cowboys fanhood, I even got a large stuffed teddy bear naming it after my favorite player at the time, Jay Novacek, the tight end. It's important to note that this was the Cowboys team that had Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin, and my favorite player was the tight end. Frankly, that describes me pretty well. I have to go my own way. Either way, I continue to grow up, and neither team really fit me very well. While I could agree with the rest of my family that the Virginia Tech Hokies were the college football team of choice to root for, I couldn't decide who to root for in the professional leagues. I even have a picture of myself in a Philadelphia Eagles shirt, which no one seems to quite know how I got it or why I would be wearing it. In 1995, I was still trying to determine which team I wanted to support. That was also the year in which the Jacksonville Jaguars and Carolina Panthers started to play. Both teams were not great. Both teams missed the playoffs. As I mentioned, Carolina went 7-9 and Jaguars went 4-12. Growing up in southwestern Virginia would suggest to you that I should probably be a Panthers fan as it's much closer to where I was. That's a reasonable assumption, but I would like to point you back at the topic of this essay. I don't exactly remember 1995 or 1996 very well, especially from a football standpoint. But this crystallized for me that I should be a Jaguars fan. I knew I loved the colors, with the teal, gold, black, and white. It probably did help that the Jaguars don't face the other team in my family very often, as they're in different conferences. Additionally, I'm reasonably sure this all solidified in the playoffs of 1996, when the Jaguars beat Denver in one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. I would like to pause here and apologize to Ben, my co-host on my other podcasts. Sorry, buddy. I'm sure my family is somewhat disappointed they don't get to share their successes when Dallas or Washington succeed, or Carolina, as a lot of my family lives in North Carolina, but I've found that all of my family tend to root for Jacksonville because they want me to be happy. It's nice to have my own fandom, yet 
also be supported by the rest of my family, even though we never really saw eye to eye on which team to support. It probably helps I didn't pick any of the rivals of the teams that they cheer for. By the time 1999 came around, I was a huge Jaguars fan. And the Jaguars, oh man, they were great. The Jaguars went 14-2, like I mentioned. They were the best team by record in the entire league. They destroyed the Miami Dolphins in the last ever Dan Marino game in his career and then faced the hated Tennessee Titans for a third time. To beat the Buffalo Bills, the Titans had relied on a trick play known as the Music City Miracle, which is outside the bounds of this podcast and will no longer be discussed in this essay regardless of its legitimacy. Either way, since the Jaguars had learned their lesson twice, the third time would be the charm to finally beat the hated Titans, right? Nope. The hated Titans beat Jacksonville in their own stadium, 33-14, then lost to the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl. For quite a long time, the ghost of what could have been in 1999 has haunted me and the franchise. I still think that the Jaguars were the only team capable of stopping the Rams, also known as the fastest show on turf. After the season of 1999, the Jaguars fell into disarray on the field and are more likely known as the laughing stock of the league. Sure, there have been positive moments in positive seasons, such as the David Garrard years, where we went to the playoffs twice, each time being stopped by the Patriots. There have even been plays in Jaguars games that get their own Wikipedia article, such as the River City Relay, where the New Orleans Saints use multiple laterals to score a potentially game-tying touchdown before missing the usually perfunctory PAT to lose by one point, 20 to 19. The most recent success was in 2017, with Blake Bortles holding on to the coattails of one of the most fearsome Jaguars defenses I've ever seen, which gained the team the nickname of Saxonville. Surprisingly, the team made it all the way to the conference championship game before losing to, surprise, the Patriots, a result that literally made me cry in frustration and sadness. One of the plays I have the fondest attachment to, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, came on November 17, 2010. What was later recalled as one of the 100 best moments in the then 25 years of the Jaguars by fan site Big Cat Country, the Jaguars faced off against a division rival Houston Texans in Jacksonville. With three seconds left, David Garrard was situated at the 50-yard line with the game tied at 24. Generally, this leads to a Hail Mary attempt. The quarterback tries to throw the ball as far as they can for one of their players to catch it in a miraculous manner, and usually, this doesn't pan out. This time, Garrard stepped up in the pocket and threw the ball 50 yards in the air. Glover Quinn, defensive back for the Texans, jumped in the air and knocked it down. However, Mike Thomas was exactly where Glover batted the ball down and caught it stepping into the end zone to give the Jaguars the 31-24 win. My personal reaction to this miracle? I ran throughout my family's house high-fiving anything I could find, which include my mother, a table lamp, and the wall at one point. I've put the video of the play in the show notes as part of Big Cat Country's coverage, so please watch it just to hear Gus Johnson's call of it, which is incredible and continues to give me goosebumps every time I hear it. My fandom for the Jaguars even made it into my wife's vows. When I was writing this, we realized we didn't have them easily accessible and went on a wild goose chase to find them. But thankfully, listeners, we did find them. My wife, my incredible, lovely wife, said this line to me on our wedding day. Quote, 
to celebrate your triumphs and mourn your losses as though they are my own. I realize this may be every football Sunday, end quote. She is a much smarter person than I, and this is yet another time she has demonstrated it and got a huge laugh. To date this episode, this will come out the day before the Jaguars play the first game in the 2020 season against the Indianapolis Colts on September 13th, 2020. Dan Hansis on NFL.com and the wonderful Around the NFL podcast does power rankings and has Jacksonville dead last. There is speculation that the Jags are tanking, considering they have traded Yannick Ngakwe and Ronnie Harrison and released Leonard Fournette outright, but the Orlando Sentinel suggests the team doesn't believe they are doing so. Either way, it is likely that the team is going to be disappointing, as this is the lot in life I have signed up for, being a Jaguars fan. The Jaguars stand at third to last in regular season win-loss percentage all-time, doing better than only two teams, the Arizona Cardinals and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Jaguars have a regular season record of 176 wins and 224 losses. Thank you for listening to I Brought My Own Soapbox. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you have a moment, subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you'd like to suggest things for me to talk about or offer your own thoughts, you can tweet at the show at myownsoapboxpod or email me at myownsoapboxpod at gmail.com. Thank you to James Anderson for the name of this podcast. You can find him on Twitter at unabashedjames. Thank you for Creative John for the cover art. You can find his works on Dribble and contact him via Reddit and email via links in the show notes. The intro and outro music is something elated by Broke for Free. A link to the song in the free music archive and the link to the license can be found in the show notes. The music under my monologue is Deep Relaxation Preview by Kevin McLeod. A link to the song at Incompetech and a link to the license can be found in the show notes. Also in the show notes are links to research I've done. Have a good day.